Today's episode of Disability Matters has been previously recorded. Please enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're having a great day and a warm day. This has been quite a year right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Not known for having, like, sunshine every day, uh, but, boy, it has been cool this year, and hopefully it's better where you are. I have to have a special shout-out right now to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko? Special shout-out to you. Keep doing all the great things you're doing. Also, I have to have a very special shout-out to our listeners in Japan and Ireland. Wow, I can't believe how many of you have tuned in to the show. Thank you so much, and keep spreading that news to everyone else in your country to listen to the show. Um, It's so wonderful when you can see people with disabilities throughout the world impacted through what we're doing together. Also, thanks to Highmark, Blue Cross Blue Shield, our key sponsor for the year, and to our two other sponsors, Covestro and AudioEye. Well, this is a great day. Our guest today was not that long ago in our beautiful city of Pittsburgh. Although he is a national leader, he did some great work locally when he came right here to our city. He is the executive director of the National Disability Institute. Welcome to the show, Michael Morris. Thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure to be with you. I look forward to talking with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you also. And for our listeners around the world, how about if you start by telling everyone how you first got involved in the disability community? I'd uh, be glad to, Joyce. Um, we'll have to go a little bit back in history to tell this story. Uh, I uh, am a graduate of Emory University Law School in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, this takes us back to the mid-1970s. Uh, I was graduating from law school, but knew that I didn't want to practice law. I went to the placement office. They looked at me. They said, you're on your own, Michael. So I began reading the want ads in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and I saw a small ad for uh, job applicants with a disability organization who was looking for someone with experience in working with the state legislature. That's what caught my eye. Uh, I had worked for a uh, member of the House of Representatives in the state legislature for the three years while I was in law school, and I thought, I don't know a lot about disability, but I certainly do know my way around the Georgia General Assembly. I went for an interview. At that time, it was called the Georgia ARC, or Georgia Association for Retarded Citizens. Uh, We've uh, certainly come a long way. We don't use that kind of terminology anymore. Um, but uh, they, they said to me, we can teach you about disability. What we can teach people is their way around uh, helping inform policy, how to influence policy decisions, knowing your way around the, the state legislature. And I said, okay. 
They were the first ones to offer me a job uh, more than uh, 40 years ago, and uh, I uh, became a part of the disability community in that way. Many years later, um, with the birth of my second daughter, uh, we, I, because I had been in the disability community quite a number of years, uh, I kept sharing with my wife that, um, why, why isn't my daughter um, uh, speaking? Uh, my, my, younger, my older daughter had, uh, uh, had quite a vocabulary at six months, eight months of age, and, and we were approaching now uh, over 18 months, and, and she barely spoke. And I knew enough because I had worked on so many laws uh, that uh, uh, early intervention services were an option. And uh, sure enough, we were able to learn that she had significant hearing uh, challenges. Um, she eventually outgrew them, but she was able to get immediate assistance by, uh, through speech therapy at home uh, three days a week, which really helped uh, accelerate uh, the delayed uh, language development, and it was uh, it was an interesting opportunity many years after I first started out in disability. Isn't that amazing how it so often becomes personal? Yeah, with so absolutely. many people, with with so many. Hey, I have to ask you a question though. Why? Why? This is amazing. What the heck made you decide I don't want to be in law when you were in law school? I know that's that's the question I've been asked so many times. I <laughs> I uh, I think I was swept uh, with my college graduation class. Everyone seemed to be going either to law school or medical school at the time, and uh, I thought, well, uh, I always liked government. I double majored in political science and psychology, and I thought, well, I'm not sure where this road will will go. But uh, I liked the idea of, of going to law school. Uh, and I, I, early on, because of my interest in political science, gravitated towards uh, politics and, and uh, uh, state legislature first. Um, but it was, it was an interesting, um, just, uh, uh, you know, turn of circumstances that uh, brought me into the disability arena and then subsequently really had some challenges in my own family. You know what? That education you had from working, you know, in the disability community is what really helped you to know to get that early intervention. Absolutely. And look how Without much it helped. It, uh, without it, I, uh, my daughter would have had further delayed uh, language development. She would have fallen further behind as she started school. And uh, just uh, as uh, for the many reasons that uh, Congress added uh, early intervention services after the early uh, activities around uh, what was then called Public Law 94-142, the Education for All Handicapped Children's Act, which later became IDEA, Individual with Disabilities Education Act um, was uh, really a, a, uh, a lifesaver in terms of my daughter's future development. Yeah, that's why it's so important. IDEA, that's why it is so important for many reasons. Uh, but I have to tell you, I noticed right away that you had worked with Lowell Weicker. And how I know about him is uh, through Tony Quello. 
and so I am very familiar with his involvement in his career with the ADA. When you worked with him, were you aware of this commitment to the disability community? Well, I, if you let me digress just briefly, I will tell you another story about my background. Um, I went, as I said, to the Georgia ARC, uh, began working with the state legislature. Six months after I was in that job, the director of the agency left. And uh, at the young age of 24, I became the executive director of the second largest ARC in the country, uh, second only to California. We had over 100 chapters across the state of Georgia. We had over 20,000 members, uh, second only to California. Four years later, um, came a, a letter across my desk from the Kennedy Foundation, and it, and it told me about a new program that they were starting uh, that Eunice Kennedy Shriver, uh, with the advice of her brother, Senator Ted Kennedy, that we needed young people with expertise about disability to come to Washington uh, and be embedded in the Congress to, to really share what they knew, to, to help change the laws. And this is 1979. Um, I, became, I applied. I became the first recipient of the Kennedy Foundation Public Policy Fellows uh, uh, Fellowship that today is still going on uh, these many years later and brought so many wonderful people. I know, Joyce, you know, over the years, uh, brought them to Washington to have uh, their moment. Uh, I, I was selected. I was shocked I was selected, uh, but I was the first one, and, and, and uh, Eunice took me to meet uh, her brother, and, uh, and she asked her brother, where do we place him? And remember, you've got to think about this, 1980, the Reagan Revolution. Uh, the presidency had, had uh, gone to a Republican. Uh, the, the Senate turned over and had Republican leadership for the first time in years. And Senator Kennedy said, I think we need to take him to Lowell Weicker because we're going to see if Weicker will chair what existed then was a subcommittee focused on disability policy. And the reason he singled out Weicker is Weicker had a young son at that point, two years old, uh, with Down syndrome. And so he thought, what a great opportunity to bring Weicker's um, always kind of independent progressive views uh, into the forefront uh, and get him engaged early on in disability policy. So I interviewed with Weicker, and, and I, I, I wound up, uh, this is 1981, so pre-ADA still, but I wound up working for Weicker for a year, uh, working on uh, things like the reauthorization of the Developmental Disabilities Act. Uh, we went around, visited state institutions, and began to, to look at how do we move people into the community and into the mainstream. Uh, you know, at that time, we didn't talk a lot about employment yet. Uh, that would come later. Uh, but I spent a year uh, on his staff, and uh, I then went uh, for a second year working at the Kennedy Foundation uh, for uh, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, uh, and then I went back and worked for uh, Weicker uh, a little bit longer. Um, but at the time I was there, those ideas, those early ideas, which came from his interaction with the National Council on Disability, were some of the earliest thinking about the Americans with Disabilities Act. 
I know so many of us think about in the Senate, people uh, certainly uh, think about Senator Tom Harkin. Uh, they, they think about uh, Senator Ted Kennedy, you know, those who are uh, like us who are old enough to remember. Uh, but we forget about um, the, the, the really the, that, that bipartisan support that came from people uh, like uh, a Lowell Weicker, Republican senator from Connecticut, like Bob Dole, senator from Kansas, and it really took that bipartisan support to move this across the finish line. It did. It did, and that's why I wanted to, when I saw that in your background, that's why I wanted to mention it, because uh, often different people say to me, including Tony, that people forget about Lowell Weicker's involvement. So, um, And I think, by the way, that is just so wonderful, that story about how you received that fellowship and got to know the Kennedys. That That is very impressive. And we're going to talk more to Michael, but right now we're going to break. If you just joined us, we're talking to Michael Morris, the Executive Director of the National Disability Institute. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show, everyone. If you just joined us, we're talking to Michael Morris, the Executive Director of the National Disability Institute. Uh, Michael, can you explain to our listeners, I've noticed when I talk to different people, sometimes they get uh, this confused with uh, different groups with the first couple words the same. What, what is the National Disability Institute? Joyce, thanks for asking. Um, I uh, founded the National Disability Institute about 12 years ago. Uh, it's a 501c3 not-for-profit uh, organization with a very clear vision and mission to advance a better economic future for people across the spectrum of disabilities. 
And what that means to us is certainly pushing very hard for more people with disabilities of working age to be uh, in, uh, uh, use their talents and be a part of uh, uh, the workforce in, uh, across market sectors and many different types of jobs, and not just jobs, but, but really uh, careers, uh, uh, career pathways that, that uh, promote financial security, mobility, and, and uh, financial independence. But we're so much more than that. I, I realized uh, about a dozen years ago that while working on so many issues, whether it was uh, as head of an ARC at a state level or I eventually became executive director of United Cerebral Palsy Associations at a national level, or my years that I spent with Weicker uh, in the U.S. Senate, um, I realized there was something missing from many of our discussions, and that was the impact of poverty on people with disabilities. Um, the, the lack of opportunity uh, that comes from really not even making good financial decisions, uh, not being financially included. So we often talk about employment as a means, not the end. The end is about having a life of greater financial security and mobility, the opportunity to have a self-determined, self-directed life, which of course comes with income production, but it also comes from good understanding and making informed financial decisions. I've built National Disability Institute into an organization that bridges a, a unique set of relationships between government, the financial community, um, and the disability community. Uh, today, we're an organization with some 40 staff, about a third in Washington, D.C., about two-thirds scattered around the country, uh, typically working from home offices. We have over 20 different public and private funders, and uh, I believe this year we're implementing about 20 projects. Some of those are training projects, uh, working on bridging this relationship between disability and the financial communities. Uh, some of it is research projects. Some of it is uh, uh, demonstration projects, testing different types of interventions so that people with disabilities alongside really trying to pursue their employment goals also begin to learn more that they become more financially capable and make better informed financial decisions. Uh, for NDI, I think we're probably best known for our work with the IRS where we uh, have teamed up on what was called the Real Economic Impact Tour and now the Real Economic Impact Network. We have actually helped over two, almost two and a half million um, individuals with disabilities uh, access the earned income tax credit uh, and other beneficial tax provisions with free tax preparation assistance through community partners all across the country that has actually put in the pockets of people with disabilities over $2.1 billion. That's a, a point in time, an educable moment for talking about really understanding money and setting financial goals and looking not just short term, uh, but looking ahead as what does someone, uh, anyone want for a better quality of life. Um, we have uh, also become very well known for our groundbreaking reports on financial behavior and banking status of people with disabilities. We just released our newest report about a month ago, working collaboratively with the FDIC on data that they collect. We have some additional reports coming out later this year, also looking at the intersection 
of race, disability, and poverty, a topic that does not get uh, sufficient attention. Um, so that gives you a little bit of flavor where, of what we're doing. We have several big uh, training and technical assistance projects working with the vocational rehabilitation agencies across the country uh, on improving what they do for people with disabilities. We have other projects with the Department of Labor and focused on workforce uh, innovation and Opportunity Act implementation, but really trying to give people with disabilities better knowledge, more skills that uh, certainly bring them into uh, the world of workforce, uh, but also having them think beyond about uh, their lives and financial goals and, and really advancing economic self-sufficiency. And, you know, that all of those things are so important. My first question is, how do people find out about you that need that assistance, what you talked about with the uh, Internal Revenue Service, or wanting to understand uh, finances? How do they find you, people with disabilities? Yeah, I, we, we have a very large website uh, that's called uh, Real Economic Impact, one word, realeconomicimpact.org. Um, you will learn about uh, some of the programs I've highlighted and many others. Uh, you can call us. Uh, uh, you, can, you can reach us online. Um, we, we are also very actively involved uh, with webinars that are all free, uh, that are listed uh, on the homepage of our website. Uh, we have multiple newsletters that are free, uh, one that covers uh, Washington uh, from our insider perspective, others that relate to our Real Economic Impact Network, and then others still with our LEAD Center, uh, Leadership in Employment and Advancing uh, Economic Self-Sufficiency for People with Disabilities being done with the Office of Disability Employment Policy, at the U.S. Department of Labor. So there's a lot of ways to interact with us, and I would say really 99.9% .9 of what we're offering is free. Um, just sign up with us. We're, we'll be very willing to talk with you and, and hope you gain from uh, our many web, webinars and newsletters. And you, how, how did your organization find these people with disabilities? Like, how, how did you reach all of them at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think, one of the great stories of partnership, the power of collaboration. Uh, we were uh, early on, uh, this is about 12 years ago, we realized that there are these tax provisions that people in the disability community knew nothing about. They weren't specific to people with disabilities, so something like the Earned Income Tax Credit is a way of uh, government gives you money that uh, is based on you being at low income level. And, and here's a mistake a lot of people with disabilities make. They're, they're thinking, well, I don't owe any taxes, so I don't even need to file. When they do that, they leave money the government owes them on the table. It's unbelievable. So um, we work closely with the IRS and, uh, and their regional offices in a program that's called VITA. Volunteer Income Tax Assistance. There are over a 1,000 sites across the country. We work very closely with those sites, teaching them how to do outreach to disability organizations and directly to people with disabilities, uh, how to make uh, their sites accessible 
Uh, and uh, that built up over time. Uh, Twelve years ago, we started out in 10 cities. Then there were 18. Then there were 30. Then there were over 100 cities that we partner with the IRS and other community nonprofits, typically not led by disability organizations, but sensitive to the fact that there were people with disabilities in their community that could benefit from the earned income tax credit but just hadn't heard about it, didn't know what to do, and didn't know they could get their taxes done for free. No need to go to a paid tax preparer. And that, for us, is the beginning of a conversation about how people are managing their money whether it's a combination of earned income and Social Security and other benefits, is to get people to think and take seriously that don't just live paycheck to paycheck, but think about setting financial goals and think about um, where you want to be in the future. I'll tell you what, that is absolutely just wonderful. Because I know, just what you said, disability and uh, poverty go hand in hand, and there are so many people that just don't know what they don't know. And I, I, I'm going to tell you, I guess, NDI, you're sort of like a think tank that goes and takes action. You think, yeah. but you do. Joyce, <laughs> Joyce you, you hit it. It's- you know, we uh, people, as you said, National Disability Institute, what is that, a government agency? Absolutely not. We're a private not-for-profit. Well, who funds you? Well, we get money from grants and contracts from government at every level, but we also have over a dozen private funders at this point. The four largest banks in the country are now uh, supporting and investing in our work, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, Wells Fargo. Uh, we've, we've had uh, support from... Uh, good friends of yours, Joyce, like uh, Walmart, AT&T. Uh, we've even been funded at one point by the Ford Foundation because it resonates what we're talking about rather uniquely is there are lots of groups working on employment, but when you, when you complement working on employment, better employment outcomes with advancing uh, financial capability and financial literacy, that's sort of our, our unique spot and uh, um, we, we continue to reach a lot of people uh, monthly and, and uh, probably reach uh, over the course of the year, we probably touch over a million people in the disability community. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what. I ho- Listen, if you're listening to this show right now, Remember, this show is archived at BenderConsult.com and VoiceAmerica.com. You have any friends that need to hear this, make sure you tell them and go back and listen to this show. And we're going to come right back to talk about more with Michael Morris, the Executive Director at the National Disability Institute. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. 
vendor assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, vendor services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.vendorconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to Michael Morris, the Executive Director of the National Disability Institute. And, Michael, I have a couple of things I wanted to ask you right away. One is you were telling how... You get funded, you know, how people uh, make contributions. Can individuals make contributions? Oh, absolutely, Joyce. Um, uh, Again, go to our website, realeconomicimpact.org, and you'll see you'll come to a space that that, uh, offers that opportunity to anyone, individuals, corporations, foundations, we're uh, we're open uh, to it. What I'm particularly proud of is in 2017, we, we now have uh, over a dozen uh, corporate and, and, and foundation funder, funders, more than uh, the public uh, agency side, and we have a growing number of individuals who have uh, appreciated our work, have benefited from uh, our vision, and uh, are now uh, as well have become contributors. Well, okay, give us that website again in case someone wants to get a pencil and write that down. Yes, it, uh, it is real economic impact, because that's what we're about, real economic impact for people with disabilities. Realeconomicimpact.org is the website. Okay, that's good. So you know if you want to make a contribution, everything helps. Everything helps for people to help us, right? That's the way it goes. Uh, Michael, speaking of that, we got to see you right here in our beautiful city of Pittsburgh uh, not very long ago with a friend of mine, Randy Lewis. Do you want take, can you take a moment and just tell everyone why you were here? Joyce, thank you for asking. Um, we're involved in a new project, which I think is, is the, the, the great example of what happens when communities uh, pull together, uh, the business community working with community nonprofits in the disability community, other community partners, um, all of this effort being funded by, by two wonderful uh, foundations, the POSIS Family Foundation uh, from New York and the Kessler Foundation in New Jersey, um, always trying to look at how can we do better? How can we move more people with disabilities, uh, people with talent uh, who are interested in, in working in all kinds of uh, uh, marketplaces, all kinds of jobs? Uh, so what 
the, these two foundations have done is partnered with the National Disability Institute uh, to facilitate a set of conversations. Uh, the, the real showpiece of it is Randy Lewis. I hope uh, many of you are familiar with his work. He literally pioneered huge systems change at Walgreens in their distribution centers uh, and then moved on even to look at what happens at a retail level that people with disabilities, not separately, but integrated into the workforce, inclusive workforces, not only are, are talented individuals, they're productive, they had uh, lower absenteeism, uh, they made everyone work harder, frankly, is what he talks about. Randy shared his, his approach, his strategies, and the goal of, of these conversations with Randy Lewis is to bring along other corporations in the Pittsburgh community, and we hope to go to other cities across the country, really learning from what Randy did, translating that for other corporations, uh, and really offering up new opportunities where uh, corporate America, the business community, works with the nonprofit community, and the real beneficiaries are people with disabilities. So we're real excited about that initiative, and uh, really a shout-out to United Way, played a big uh, role there. And I think someone else uh, on this call, Joyce Bender, had a big role in, in being a part of the planning committee and making all this come together in Pittsburgh. Well, it was great to have you here. It was great to see uh, Randy again. And my hope is that you will be able to do this in many cities and have an impact, you know, where you go. One person I also have to mention is Jeremy Shapiro. This Shapiro family, I love them. You know, I know Jeremy's father uh, and stepmother and that whole family. They have been, uh, you know, hiring people with disabilities for a very long time. And I know he was also very involved in all of this. But <clears throat> that whole group. Everyone, just as you said, it was a whole group working together, and we were happy to have you here. You know, we've had many great things happen in this city and in this state, and one thing I'm very proud of is our Senator Bob Casey, and that is going to lead me to talking to you about Achieving a Better Life Experience Act of 2014, known to most people as the ABLE Act. Um, I know you have a lot of information about that on your site. Um, so how about if you explain that act uh, that was signed into law in 2014? Fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad you, you, you brought up the ABLE Act. Uh, I consider ABLE and the ability for what we believe are millions of individuals with disabilities across this country to open tax-advantaged savings accounts called ABLE Accounts, is one of the great achievements in, in terms of policy development since the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act some 27 years ago. Why do I feel that way? It's because it's not only a tax advantage savings account, it also allows millions of individuals with disabilities for the first time to save without any adverse consequences in terms of losing any means-tested, resource-tested federal public benefits. So people on SSI, people on Medicaid, people on food assistance, certain types of housing assistance, 
says if you are going to be eligible and remain eligible, you can only keep about $2,000 in assets in the bank. ABLE is a game changer. Now you don't have that limit. Uh, contributions up to a total of $14,000 per person can go into an ABLE account. And uh, for the first time, people can begin to think about saving. They can think about investing. Those contributions can, can go into a very safe savings account. Or if you're looking at more growth, they could go into a series of choices in terms of an investment account with the ABLE funds. But uh, how do you use the money? It's for all those extra costs people with disabilities face every day. Transportation, housing costs, technology purchases, uh, extra costs of health care, other things uh, are not covering either insurance or Medicaid or Medicare. Um, literally, it will cover almost anything that will improve the quality of your life, your independence, your wellness. Um, it really is outstanding. Since that law passed, 21 states have opened ABLE programs. Now, you do not have to live in one of those 21 states to apply and open an ABLE account in another state. So you have a series of choices to be made, not only in which state are you going to open an ABLE account, but also what is going to be my savings or investment choices to be made. Um, and then you want to think about setting those financial goals. How am I going to use that money? Um, and how are we going to achieve real difference in, in the lives of people with disabilities? A pretty amazing, amazing piece. And, and Joyce, as you mentioned, Senator Casey was truly one of the leaders in getting this legislation passed uh, a few years ago. Um, and this, again, was an example of bipartisan support. Democrats and Republicans, it doesn't happen often anymore, working together to realize there are extra costs of living with a disability. Here's a way to, to actually have money set aside for emergencies or it could be long-term goals like housing someday or an accessible van or other things that maybe government in some way isn't paying for. I mean, when you think about what, what's possible here, this truly is uh, making, with a contribution into an ABLE account, it's a down payment on freedom and independence. 10,000 people have opened ABLE accounts since the first state opened a program one year ago today in the state of Ohio. Uh, we expect that by the end of this year that there will be 30 states with ABLE programs open, and we, we, we hope that that 10,000 accounts becomes 20,000, becomes 50,000, and eventually, I hope over the next three years, we see the first million accounts open. Um, that truly is, is what we uh, are working on, and we at NDI are also working with 25 other national disability groups as part of something called the ABLE National Resource Center. It has a separate website, ABLE N for uh, national, R for resources, and C uh, for center, ablenrc.org. You can learn about every state ABLE program. There's even a tool to compare three state programs at the same time, looking at costs, looking at investment and savings choices. Uh, so we are trying to do everything we can to educate the disability community, um, whether you're uh, a parent with a young child uh, who's eligible or you're a working-age adult. Um, there are different ways an ABLE account is going to be really a pathway to you 
uh, for you for financial inclusion for a better quality of life. And, and just so our listeners understand, could you explain briefly again what was it like before? Before the ABLE Act, what would happen to a person with a disability? Yeah. Whether you yourself are a person with a disability or it's a member of your family, um, there are too many of our public benefits, like Medicaid, like SSI, Supplemental Security Income, food assistance, or called SNAP as an acronym, uh, housing assistance, that the only way you're eligible is you have to prove you're poor and you must remain poor. It's a sentence of poverty for life uh, because you're only allowed $2,000 in assets. Well, an ABLE account basically throws away that rules, that set of rules, and says, okay, you can save money now. We're not going to count it against your eligibility for any of those critical um, uh, federal public benefits. On top of that, the money you put into your ABLE account when it comes out is not going to be taxed. So um, whether you're using it short term for some need, maybe transportation to get to work, um, or you're using it for a, a bigger need someday, you need a new wheelchair, and government uh, already uh, has replaced your chair, uh, or it's, uh, it's about housing you hope to live in someday, um, you have an opportunity to really think bigger, better, uh, and really change your whole outlook. Uh, also about work. So many people were afraid, oh, okay, I'm going to make more money. I've got to spend it now. Now you can put it into a savings account. And we've got amendments pending to ABLE uh, to uh, bring more people into eligibility, to also allow more than $14,000 a year uh, to go into an account. Um, and uh, over time, I think this is going to be a program that is going to be uh, a true lifesaver for uh, millions of people with disabilities. Yeah, it's terrible that poverty sentence you're talking about. I hate that. So thank God at least here's one big change with the uh, ABLE Act that is, that is as you said, a game changer. Hey, what about the LEAD Center? What is that? Yeah, thanks for asking. Another of our National Disability Institute projects, we're in year five of a funded project from the Office of Disability Employment Policy at the U.S. Department of Labor. And this center was funded and, and remains uh, really uh, uh, testing uh, different interventions to improve opportunities through cross-system collaboration. Well, those are fancy words. What are we talking about? We're talking about what are called the American uh, Job Centers or Career, One-Stop Career Centers, depending on how they're called in your state, um, to be a place that welcomes people with disabilities, offers them skills training, offers them help with resume writing, but working in tandem with vocational rehabilitation, working in concert with other uh, uh, agencies. It could be the State Developmental Disability Services Agency, the Mental Health Agency, the Independent Living Centers. Um, what LEAD is about is, is making sure that our workforce development system is also responsive and uh, uh, ensuring effective and meaningful participation of people with disabilities. So we are uh, also about uh, lots of training, uh, another website for you, leadcenter.org, L-E-A-D, center.org. 
where you will find a ton of materials, uh, uh, probably over 30 webinars, archives with leading subject matter experts. Um, I think you'll find a lot there. Uh, there's a lot of information there on Employment First, uh, where you can look by state in terms of laws that have been passed, executive orders that have been passed, other initiatives that are underway. So lots of information to, to uh, help you uh, think about uh, whether it's policy change or it's for you as an individual and family, uh, things to explore like uh, discovery, different approaches to finding out where do you want to go in terms of uh, employment opportunity? Uh, it's also about uh, teaching financial literacy skills. So we cover a lot of ground, and, and uh, I appreciate you asking about it as well. I mean, you do so many great things. I, I just hope everyone, uh, more and more people, understand what you do because you do so many great things, Michael. Um, I, I'm really proud of what you've done with your life because you've really done something great here. Um, and and I hope everyone else sees that. So, Michael, remember you were talking about, and I worked before, before the ADA I was involved. So, 27 years ago, that's been quite a time that you recall, uh, let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down, and it did in so many ways, except employment. You know, we just can't seem, I, you know, I know we have been seeing improvements uh, in the employment rate, but keep in mind we're still so far behind. Uh, what what is your opinion? Why why has this taken so long to be realized? I I, I think that the answer to that is that change comes ever so slowly. Um, I think that the the changes brought by the ADA removed a lot of barriers, communication barriers, physical barriers uh, in terms of where. Uh, people are able to fully participate in a community, shop uh, where they want, uh, uh, go eat in restaurants, go to hotels, all kinds of things. Um, but um, employment requires um, still sort of the next stage I see in, in the, where the greatest activity has to take place, and, and you've been such a leader in this work for so many years, uh, is about really bringing to the table um, the, the different government systems to work more effectively with the business community. That's what this Randy Lewis tour is about as we visited Pittsburgh and we go to other cities. It's about rethinking and reimagining how do we make this easier? Uh, where do we find the pipeline if you're an employer? We always get that question, is to, to get the government systems to work better with employers, not a lot of red tape, but to bring the talent forward to improve the skills development uh, while uh, youth are still in high school, giving them job experience, job shadowing, internships, uh, uh, to, to experience work we know is the best way that more people will become employed. I think uh, it's a cup half full, half empty. I, I like to look at it optimistically that the work you've done, the work so many others have done, um, is about continuing to change attitude. And those attitudinal changes are about employer attitudinal changes, but it's also about parent uh, attitudinal changes. It's about attitudinal change for individuals with disabilities, rehabilitation professionals. I think we all got to keep moving forward 
um, to understand that um, more than ever before with the changing demographics of America, which is aging, I, what is it, 10,000 people every day turn 65 in this country. There's going to be a, a, a talent shortage. People with disabilities can fill that talent shortage uh, and shouldn't be stereotyped in, into any one single type of job. So I think that, frankly, despite the political, social, economic environment that we're in, I think the demographic change says that like companies like Walgreens with, with the leadership uh, and vision of Randy Lewis and so many others uh, that, uh, uh, like you, you mentioned, the Shapiro family in Pittsburgh with Giant Eagle and so many other companies, when they spread the word, that word uh, is what really helps other employers understand this makes good business sense. This isn't charity. This isn't philanthropy. This is about bottom line. I need workers who can perform, who can be productive. We in the disability community have the answers to that, but we all got to work better together. No bureaucracies. Got to break down silos. We got to figure out, as you did when I was there in Pittsburgh, people working together to, to forge creative, positive, role models, experiential opportunities that are going to lead to full-time paid jobs and integrated, inclusive workforces. Well, that is quite a message, and I'll tell you what, I'm, like, so shocked. You know why? We're at the end of the show. How did that happen? That happened because you're so interesting. This is, I think, the fastest this ever has gone on record. So, Michael, thank you for being with us. Today is our guest, and I end every show with a quote, and today that quote is, I believe that every child is born with a light inside of them, and that it's the abiding obligation of those in public office to do all we can to help that light shine, said Senator Bob Casey. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.